you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. This is Kara Orbell, your host of Going Places. Today, I'm talking to Eric Paul about his experiences. He is the true definition of an definition of an entrepreneur. He graduated from the University of Iowa in biomedical engineering, and he also went to get his PhD from University of Iowa as well. He is the co-founder of OmniLife, which is an app to to facilitate the organ procurement and transplant process. And his story is really interesting. He's very inspiring. So thanks for being on the show. Great. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So let's start. You have a really interesting story about how you met your other co-founder and how you guys kind of got started. Do you mind starting there? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, we, so I met Dalton, my co-founder, my senior year of college, and we were taking an elective together called uh, Foundations or Fundamentals of Entrepreneurship. Uh, It was part of a entrepreneurial certificate program that you could add on to um for me it was engineering but they it was interdisciplinary so everybody had their own path and dalton had to be had happened to be on um, biology so anyway we were in the same class together and we worked on um through the class you'll write like propose business plans and you know different things like that like scenarios and stuff and we had never done any of that in entrepreneur or in engineering classes, uh, nor in biology classes. So it was kind of new for both of us. And uh, we were really happy and excited to be, you know, doing some of the business stuff um, and learning about it. And uh, we actually took one of the business ideas. We came in to a pitch competition and ended up winning that and then going to the next pitch competition, et cetera. But part, so that was kind of like how we met and how the business sort of came to be. But behind the core idea um, is a close personal connection between us. So uh, Dalton used to play uh, Division One football at the University of Iowa for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And he, uh, in his sophomore year, he had a motor vehicle accident that left his arm paralyzed. And he actually had a nerve transplant the i think in like 10 10 months later after some rehabilitation and stuff um but he had a paralyzed right arm for that long trying to like re-innervate it through exercise and different things like that um and then it was you know totally irreversible you know irreversible and 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 it was complete failure um so he needed a transplant which ended his career so that was why why he was kind of delaying it some somewhat as well um because if he got the transplant he is ineligible after that so Anyway, he got the transplant and needed a new career path and everything. And um, so he came into entrepreneurship with the idea of enterprise, you know, first and foremost, particularly in the biomedical space. Um, And me being in biomedical engineering, that's obviously kind of my focus as well. Um, And uh, you mentioned in my introduction that I was doing a kind of went into a PhD program as well. And that's part of why I wanted to understand more about the business. It has to do with impact for me. It really is about not 
working on something that ends up in a drawer, you know, at your college, um, in the library somewhere, but something that's actually, you know, gets some wheels underneath it and, you know, has an, has an opportunity to impact the world. And I think business is how you do it. Um, predominantly, at least here in the U S it seems to be like a good path. Um, the, the way we have our economy set up and everything. So that's kind of how I got into entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, clearly our, our goals for the industry or where we wanted to, you know, enter was aligned. Um, and we actually got connected into organ transplant because I was looking at organ transplant data, number one. And then number two, um, Dalton actually got the nerve transplant and his uncle's a, a pediatric heart transplant surgeon as well. So he kind of knew about the processes um, and I knew about the data and the processes were what kind of brought us into, um, you know, focusing on streamlining and helping um, with kind of the logistics and communication and things like that. And then the data are really sort of the underlying, um, you know, hardcore, more business value propositions that we needed to bring. So I think both of us brought together some kind of qualitative you know, improvement and then the quantitative improvement. So together, I think we make a really good team being um, kind of, uh, you know, together and, and, uh, and kind of representing um, some of the softer sciences and then some of the more um, analytical stuff. So I think that's kind of a, a big credit to where we've gotten since then. But that's, that's kind of the impetus and how everything happened from the beginning. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Um, I think I was always curious about that too, because I knew you had like an engineering kind of background. So I was wondering like where the entrepreneurship kind of came from, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs say they have like this mindset, like the entrepreneurial mindset. Do you think you have that? Um, so yes, I guess I would need a definition for the entrepreneurial mindset. I, I kind of have a little bit of uh so like the entrepreneurial mindset sometimes can be you're just easily distracted Ooh. um and you're thinking about maybe too much or you have a shiny object syndrome which certainly we have that sometimes where you get introduced to problems or different things in the industry and you're like kind of like too much, too much idea and activity and, and maybe a lack of focus. So I think there's a little bit of a, a negative connotation to the entrepreneurial mindset. I certainly think I have it because I struggle with uh, shiny <laughs> objects. Um, and one of the, one of the things there is I think you just, you do see opportunity in a lot of problems in a lot of situations. Um, mm. And I think that is core to entrepreneurship mindset is, you know, rosy colored glasses, you know, every downside has an upside. There's always opportunity there. And then the caveat is, you know, sometimes you can be easily distracted. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think we definitely both have that entrepreneurial mindset and uh, we try as best we can to create like a company structure, culture and goals to keep us, you know, between the railings, so to mm -hmm. speak, that, you know, to keep making progress. It's, it's really good to have lots and lots and lots of ideas but it also can be exhausting and, and for time and money and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, you need, you need a balance, but if, if you can do both and, you know, be cognizant of your uh, disposition to maybe latch on and do too many things um, you can, 
kind of steer the ship a little bit better that way. Yeah, I like that definition. I didn't really think of that either because I kind of thought of it as like someone who's, I guess, excited to start a new company and has like a drive to constantly create. But I never thought of like the flaws of that and that you can get too distracted. And I think I'm the same way where I get so distracted with like, I'm a yes man. So if I have a new project, I'm like, yes, I'll take it. Like, give me it. I'll do it. And then it's like, wait, I need to like, wait, I need to focus on my goals. So that's really interesting. And I never really thought of that for like, even a startup company or anything like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're right there with it uh, for sure. And yeah, it's, it's a little difficult kind of moving forward, but I think you're doing the right things with the goals and everything and, <laughs> and it's necessary or else you just turn into uh, somebody that's overburdened that you could burn out yeah. quickly. And, and you can also not make as much progress in the direction you really want to get uh, for your okay. life and kind of just stay at, you know, sort of surface level. So true. Definitely. So I think one of the hardest things for a lot of people when they start out with a new company or a new project, me included with my podcast is they have a lot of trouble getting their name out and getting the proper networking. How were you able to get OmniLife out into the industry? So we got really lucky. Uh, And I think a lot of startup stories and entrepreneurship stories it starts with the mindset and the positivity and the kind of, you know, you got to create successful vibes for yourself, but it also does come down to a lot of luck yeah. in almost all cases. Um, so be opportunistic, be there for the right time. But um, I'll tell you, I'll share with you the story about how we kind of broke into our network and we're able to get that early traction we needed. That's essential for basically getting anything started. So um, when we started winning a couple business competitions with our idea, um, the University of Iowa selected us to present to their foundation. And the foundation are all the people that give money past a certain dollar amount. So these people are influential, they're very rich, very successful, um, and they're located all over the world, right? And they, uh, they all give back to their alma mater sometimes, or mm-hmm. maybe their kids go to the University of Iowa or whatever. But anyway, so you have an opportunity to pitch to all these folks that are all, you know, very capable of investing in your company, probably have um, investment funds through their family trust or something like that as well. Um, and we happen to, and so most and some of them will be entrepreneur, will be entrepreneurs as well. So through that, we met Dr. Manny Villafana in Minneapolis, who is a serial entrepreneur. I think he uh, was born in the Bronx and then moved to Minneapolis and then started eight different medical device companies up there. Wow. Minneapolis isn't too far away from St. Norbert's nor um, <laughs> Iowa City. So um, we, he, you know, called us afterward and said you know come on up tomorrow and and you know i have some people you need to meet and that sort of thing and since he did a lot of heart related medical devices he knew all the heart transplants or heart surgeons who also happened to do transplants as well um so that was kind of how we broke in and got our medical director we got our principal investigator for some of the studies that we needed to do to prove the validity of our software. Um, We got introductions to some of our first customers. Our very first day that we went up and met with Manny Villafani showed us some of his stuff. And then he said, you know what? Hey, I have the CEO of an organ procurement organization. 
Wow. Uh, that I need you guys to talk to. And, and we, we talked to her and gave her the pitch and everything. And then Manny um, basically asked the CEO, she's like, he's like, you know, do you want, like, would you buy the software if it's, you know, coming up? And then the CEO said, yeah, of course it's, it's, you know, it's everything that we need to improve organ transplantation. And then Manny was like, okay, I'll fund you guys. And, you know, I'll be, you know, wow. I, I want to be part of your, this story and this investment and stuff. So he gave us the first check that then we were able to set terms on our seed round, you know, based on that. And, uh, and when Manny Villafana's in the deal, then everybody else hears about it and says, oh, well, Manny's already done the due diligence. And, and of course, everybody does their own due diligence, but they're, you know, they kind of follow each other. They want to know that somebody else is already in the deal um, and that sort of thing. So I think Manny was really the, the key launch point. And then prior to that, it was the University of Iowa putting us in front of the foundation members. Um, so huge gratitude to those two parties for sure to, to make it happen. And um, winning pitch competitions got us there initially, which we can take individual credit for, but the rest <laughs> of it, luck. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's so cool. I mean, was it daunting to be in front of like the CEOs and presenting in front of these big people and being like, yeah, we got this together. Like, we'll do it for you. Was it scary? Oh, sure. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. I think uh, when you're in it, you're so in the zone that it seems natural sometimes. And then when you step back, you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. I can't believe we were doing all this stuff like really young. And, you know, I, I see some of the, you know, upcoming entrepreneurs and people starting companies and stuff and, you know, out of college and things like yeah. that. Like, I used to be there, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. I can't believe it, but it takes a lot of confidence and just to really be, you know, in your, in your element. And I think when you're really enjoying what you're doing, um, you can, you know, sort of cast aside some of the self-doubt or, you know, things that might be in your way, uh, you know, mentally or in your own, you know, sort of emotional space. So, um, yeah, just that's a kind of how we were able to keep the confidence up is just that we were also together. I don't know if it's different if you're just a single co-founder, sole co-founder or sole founder, um, versus having a co-founder, but we really were able to, you know, kind of feed off of each other's energy too. So if I wasn't really feeling very good, um, Dalton had an opportunity to kind of like get me back in the game and then vice versa. So yeah, it's really helpful. That's cool. We were just talking about this, but we both played water polo and I, I hear a lot of like, I know Dalton played football, you played water polo. I hear a lot of athletic, like mindset things. And I find that so interesting how like your mindset kind of, it kind of correlates between like going to a game and being in, in focus and then going to like these pitch competitions, talking to big people and trying to like get into the mindset. I think it's very similar. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it, it even goes, it, it goes beyond, uh, uh, athletics too. I, I know that athletics is a really easy way to kind of link up, you know, your mental space, your emotional space and your physical space all together. But mm. it's the same as like taking a really big test too. Mm -hmm. um, you can have all this pre, you know, test anxiety where you've been doing all the study and preparation and everything. But when it's test time and the timer's going, like everything else <laughs> fades aside and you're focused and you're doing it. And it's just about performance in that, in that point. Um, and you can't, you know, there's, there's no time to 
wish that you studied more for one section versus the other. It's just yeah. about performing at your best ability based on what you have. And I think that um, that's the, where the confidence comes from, knowing that you can't yeah. ever be 100% prepared. But, you know, you're, you're in the water and you're playing water polo and, <laughs> you know, you don't have time to go go back and do an extra few thousand yards of practice, you know, yeah. like you are at the fitness level you're at, you're at the preparedness you're at, and you just got to do as best you can. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's funny. Water polo was like my least favorite sport that I ever played. So it's yeah, funny to think about it. Like sport. I'm getting an adrenaline rush just thinking about it. Cause it was yeah. hard, man. That's so <laughs> funny. Um, let's talk more about your relationship with Dalton. Cause I feel like that had a lot of luck to come into as well. Like how, how do you, how did your relationship shift throughout your career? I mean, how, yeah. People say that doing a, like having a co-founder and, and doing a business with a, with a partnership um, is a lot like getting married. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not married yet, but my, my fiance is in the other room with the dog. Uh, but uh, I mean, there are similar situations there uh, for sure. Uh, you both really care about, you know, you have a shared purpose and a shared, um, care, uh, for your, you know, your business and everything. And each of you bring your own perspectives and you're not the same person. I mean, you find that with, you know, with your, you know, future spouse too, you have shared interests, of course, but I think maybe in the initial dating phase, you seem to line up really well. It's like, Oh, this is like, you know, my person, we're like on the same wavelength of everything. And then once you move in together or you start a business or whatever, you really find out just how different you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the, the true relationship begins is after that kind of honeymoon phase where you're just doing everything that you mutually enjoy or having kind of that sort of stuff. And then you really grow um, in your relationship with your co-founder and the business and then also your spouse in the same way when you really start to appreciate the significant differences you have yeah. and the benefits that are brought into your shared experience because of those differences. Um, so that's <laughs> the best way to describe it for me. And when you can kind of put those into categories or really illustrate them uh, in a mutual way, um, you can kind of highlight each other in your own way to like make each other shine. To, for the benefit of the business. So yeah. for like Dalton and I specifically, um, I mean, this is a little obvious because we are pretty different in, in, in as far as our particular skills. Um, but for like communication and that sort of thing kind of goes, the nod goes to Dalton and then some of the analytical components, the nod goes to me hmm. and that sort of thing. And so we have an opportunity to kind of like synchronize and be able to kind of highlight each other's um strengths um and usually it's sort of it makes a lot of sense because those strengths are basically offsetting some weaknesses from the other people so um i think that's the most important thing when you're moving um or when you're doing kind of like a, a partnership for a business or whatever or or partnership in life too um with your boyfriend girlfriend or spouse future spouse that sort of thing um, is to really be able to highlight those uh, differences and and uh, not you know don't you know resent those differences, but that's what makes the success happen. Mm -hmm. Is 
is kind of working together and uh, and understanding your own limitations and then you know bringing up bringing up your partner to you know be highlighted in their own in their own personal way so that's cool yeah good answer <laughs> um let's talk a little bit about the just the um I can think of the word the organ transplant industry because I know a lot of organs get wasted due to lack of communication, transport issues. So your mission as a company is really to facilitate that and to fix that, to make sure everyone can get access to an organ transplant. Can you touch a little bit on this? Absolutely. I can go. (laughs) Um, But there, there are kind of like three um, specific things that we really kind of wanted to focus on for the, for the business. But um, one of the biggest problems that we have, well, first off, there are way too many people waiting on the transplant list that don't have access to organs. And Mm -hmm. the reason is an organ shortage. So there's not, no organs don't just grow on trees. They're not available for a transplant. Maybe someday in the future with the stem cells, the xenotransplantation and the 3D printing and stuff, that may be a possibility. However, um, we do have living donation and we have deceased donation from, you know, basically people that die and, uh, or, or have an ability to donate. Um, and of those people that have an ability to donate, we only actually get like 25% of the organs that are available. Um, and that kind of comes from the data we have on eligible deaths or donor eligible deaths. We have about 37,000 deaths that are in a hospital um, intubated. So they have kind of the life support systems going, uh, but they've been proclaimed as brain dead or they've had, you know, they, they're, they're, they're dead, but their uh, body is still being like physiologically supported. And that's considered a donation potential. So we have 37,000 of those each year in the US. However, we only have like 9,000 donors. So, hmm. boy, I mean, that's tremendous, you know, a tremendous margin of improvement that, that can be made there, um, particularly because we have so many people that are waiting for organs. Um, for the most part, people in the U.S. are, are supportive of, of donation. Mm-hmm. Um, many people already have it on their license that say they want to be a donor. Um, and, uh, and even if you're not listed on your license that you want to be a donor, the organization will still come and contact your family or whomever's at the bedside and mm-hmm. say, Hey, you know, we, we know that, you know, Susie, Sally, or Sam didn't have, you know, yes to donation on their license plate or on their license driver's license, but we want to give you as the family an opportunity to kind of um, make that decision if you'd like. Mm-hmm. So usually the family has an opportunity to say, you know what, this is what Sam would have wanted. Um, I know he didn't have it on his license, but like, we think that that's a legacy that he would want to have to, to give back to somebody else. And usually after a conversation like that happens, the, um, it's well over 80% conversion as far as if you're eligible and you've been identified and somebody's asked you about donation, Mm -hmm. um, most people say yes. And that makes a lot of sense because many people know of somebody in their family or extended family that has needed a transplant. It's a very, yeah. um, unfortunately, it's a very uh, common occurrence um, for people to, to do that. Um, and uh, even though we have like 100,000 people on the list waiting for a transplant, um, 
that's only the people that are actually listed. However, and the only reason we have only 100,000 is because of the registration process, which uh, requires all this paperwork and stuff. But the larger group of people is much, much larger. So hmm. organ transplant basically has an opportunity to replace a failing organ system. And yeah. one in every three deaths in the United States is due to a failing organ system. It could be wow. like a cancer in your pancreas, for example. They've had recent, um, uh, yeah, cancers in the pancreas or the liver or, you know, different single organ failures that can be, um, that can be cured with organ transplant. But many times you don't hear about that other than maybe like a last, a last ditch effort to yeah. kind of list them for a couple of days. And then there's not enough, you know, no, there's no organ available and then they, and then they die. But if we had like lots of organs available, we could, um, we could stop one in three deaths, which is huge. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, a little bit of the statistics and the, of the problem behind um, organ transplant. And uh, yeah, I can kind of go into the, you know, what we, or what we've done to solve that, but maybe you're going to ask that in the next Yeah, week. no, actually go into it. Let's talk about sure. it. <laughs> uh, so, when we, so we had all these statistics, right? And that's kind of how we developed the business plan and said, you know, we think that adding a mobile coordination device mm -hmm. um, will allow the people because there are many different people that have to be involved but they can all be on our system and easily accept decline or authorize or get more organs transplanted um, and the way we kind of developed the situation was we talked to the transplant center at the university of iowa and then we also talked to the organ procurement organizations through Manny Villafana and some of the surgeons and all that sort of stuff. So we had a lot of mm -hmm. customer discovery to determine, and we kind of showed the statistics. And so like the end, well, everybody in the industry, they know this stuff, mm -hmm. right? This is news to them. It's just new to us. Cause we're like, Oh my God, <laughs> like this kind of with fresh eyes saying, my goodness, there needs to be something, you know, there needs to be something that we can do here yeah. um, to improve, improve it. And uh, what they, what the, folks that we interviewed, it all came down to, you know what, I, we just need to all be on the same page with communication and information mm -hmm. during um, organ transplant time. And it came down to there's a really short period of time that's available for any sort of transplantation event to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's measured in hours, you know, like, wow, you can't be out of the body for so long versus it, it just expires. Mm -hmm. uh, so and it doesn't have an opportunity to go to somebody that's transplanted. So, uh, and uh, you can't just transplant an organ to anybody. It has to go through kind of a listing process and everybody kind of lines up in a mm -hmm. queue and you have to go to everybody in order and offer and they say no. And then you go to the next one, they say no. And um, the average declines before an acceptance is about a hundred. Oh my gosh. Kidney, for example. So this takes a long time yeah. to call the person, to talk about it, to say, hey, this and this and this, and they can be all over the United States. So mm -hmm. the list is a hundred thousand people long and they only get, they get through about a hundred before they place it or before it expires. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we try to do is, you know, Hey, we have your organ procurement organization. That's where 
they're getting the getting the organs and then we have the transplant center and that's kind of the the people that are receiving the organs on behalf of their patients of course um it's a little bit of a two-sided market but our app kind of is in there in the middle to allow much faster facilitation of this whole process that doesn't require any phone calls that's you know good. you put the information in and it's disseminated immediately to everybody and uh, they can make their decision very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then after a decision is being made, then you can do the, all the rest of the stuff, which is like, get a response team, get them there. They recover the organ, they fly back, they put it on a pump or put it on ice. I mean, there's just this long cascade of logistics and complicated things that need to happen. But at the core, is communication. And that's mm-hmm. where we thought that we had the biggest, um, we could make the biggest impact is putting all that communication in one place um, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. One, it, everybody has a smartphone and but not everybody has access to their mainframe computer with the EHR and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and with organ transplant, you're flying, you're, you know, you're going and getting the organ wherever it's at and, and coming yeah. in. So, or you're on call you're at home, it's 3 a.m. and you're getting the call for the organ. You don't have access to your computer at that time. Yeah. Um, so having that all on your phone just adds a level of speed and, and access that hasn't been able, you know, hasn't been given to the industry before um, that everybody really just full on embraced when we were like, this is going to be what our solution is and here's how it works. And they were is static and that's why they piloted it early became Mm -hmm. our first customer you know did the whole did the whole thing with us and i think that's part of why um you know having that those visions that were aligned was really important because this is kind of we have these conversations before we even built any of the product Mm -hmm. so you know having and that's you know that's kind of a lucky coincidence where you can have an organization that you talk to that really lines up and supports you through that process where other others may say, I mean, that all sounds good, but we're not going to invest in some future solution. But in this case, they said, Oh no, we, we want to be part of this. We want to help make this a reality. We want to be your first customer. We want to try it we want to try version one, you know, mm. we don't need to wait till version wow. 10, you know, we'll yeah. try it with version one. We're going to have issues with it and we're going to work through them and that sort of thing. And they did work through them with us. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the story of the, the kind of the product market fit and how we got there with our, with our first customer. That's really cool. I, th- I have two comments on that. I think the first is that, I'm in an entrepreneurship class with your aunt, actually. (laughs) And um, it's so daunting to think of a product, but not know like how to get started. So I think it's really cool that you had people backing you even before you had like the finished product. I think that's really, really powerful. And then my second thing is that you guys were so young that you were able to see this with fresh eyes. And even like, I don't know if you're millennial, but millennial Gen Z smartphone technology eyes. So you were able to kind of take this old school technology and move it into our world that can easier, more facilitate it, get it ready and help so many people. So that's really cool. Just your whole process and kind of how you, how you came up with the idea and how much it's helping people. 
Yeah. Um, it's all the credit to our initial customer. And, and yeah. part of that, I, I think, was the pitching competitions. A lot of the people that are judges or whatever, they're also most times they are connected to a venture capital network or, you know, maybe, maybe there's somebody from the hospital or whatever. And they'll usually, even if they don't vote for your idea or end up you know, giving you any money or whatever, they'll usually give you a contact or somebody mm-hmm. to go to, to kind of do that. And uh, one of the things just in general, if, if you're looking into or, or anybody that's looking into like pitch competitions and stuff or like early stage businesses pre-product businesses if you can get any pre-sales or like a pre-sales contract that's really big for just traction which is that yeah we had a we had a conversation we maybe shared some slides shared some wireframes or shared kind of the product concept and you're you actually have a customer that you've like invoiced for that future product that meets these specifications yeah and that's kind of where we tried to get to with with uh with our initial customers i recommend that yeah. for people um that are building things to kind of if they can sell it before they make it that way they know exactly what the specification needs to be before they before they make it it will wow. it will change but yeah if you're able to do that that's a really a really good sales gift that you can have is to sell something that doesn't exist and i think yeah. entrepreneurs do that every day that's crazy. Yeah. I never really thought of it like that either. Like, I guess that kind of is what entrepreneurship is like in the beginning. And it's so funny to see it. Like I'm selling something to you, but it doesn't exist yet. Like I still have to make it like in any other, like if you go to the store and they're like, Oh yeah, I haven't made this for you, but we'll make it later. Like no one would buy that, but it works here. I mean, it works. Like that's crazy. That's so cool though. Yeah, it's it's the chicken and the egg. You really have to you have to sell you have to sell things that don't exist and then when people give when the right things come together, you need to be able to execute on it and make it a reality. So, yeah. Pretty crazy. And a lot of that comes yeah. with experience too. Mm-hmm. So when somebody like maybe Mark Zuckerberg or somebody famous like that with that entrepreneurship, he says, "Oh, I'm going to go build this thing and it's going to work." And people are like, oh yeah, like we trust you. You're, mm-hmm. you know, big shot entrepreneur guy. We know you can make it happen. But when you're doing it for the first time, really hard. Yeah. Like, who are you? What, yeah. what, why are, how are you going to be able to do this mm-hmm. versus any of the other people? You don't, you know, you never built a company before. You never built a product before that you sold. Um, so it's just, yeah. it's just, it's, it's kind of fun, but it's a, it's definitely a skill that you have to develop um, in entrepreneurship. So, yeah. Sorry, you froze out there, but you came back, so that's good. Um, yeah, I think that's that's so crazy and that's so cool. Just because you guys were so young, so you really did have to establish that credibility and that trust. And yeah, another big thing that you guys did that was really successful is you were able to get a lot of grants and funding. Can you talk about the like? How did you learn how to do that did you just kind of learn from the beginning how to write grants yeah so that's that's interesting we had a uh, we had a grant consultant early on hmm. in our company that uh, was actually funded through the sba okay so the small business association um in in iowa wanted more 
federal money coming to Iowa companies. So if you are an Iowa company and you, you know, have a, an idea that's pre-product, pre-development, it's a uh, innovation, you know, you're not just selling something from somebody else or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it has to be kind of like through, it needs to be developed. It needs some R and D. Um, but there are a lot of federal monies for R and D efforts from the national institutes of health and stuff. Yeah. But the SBA gave us money um, to have a consultant help us do the writing. Hmm. And they took us through and the consultants, there are people that consult and help companies get grant money. Like mm-hmm. that's, and that's their whole job. That's what they do. Um, but having that professional service available to us um, at no cost yeah. was incredible. And that was all through the SBA. And there are normally resources similar to that in almost all of the states. So I think that there's something available in, in Wisconsin too. I'd be very surprised if there were not, was not. Yeah. But, it's, but yeah, finding those opportunities though to help, to get help with grants and stuff. Um, takes a little bit of searching and networking and, and that sort of thing. Now the folks from the SBA, they'll probably be at the pitch competitions too. Yeah. Um, okay. So they'll either be some of the judges or whatever, and they can usually say, Hey, you know, the next federal solic- or state solicitation for a grant is coming up and, you know, I want to see your application in the stack, mm. you know, um, and we, I think, yeah, before we got a federal grant, we got a state grant first. Okay. The state grant was the proof of commercialization relevance fund. And it was $25,000. Wow. Um, which is That's uh, big, big for, yeah. a, for an early stage company. And you wrote a business plan for it and that sort of thing. And, and uh, uh, you had a list of things that you're going to do with the money, which is primarily when it says proof of commercialization relevance is, talk to your customers, go through yeah. the product discovery, make the wireframes, do the kind of the early design work. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully uh, the proof of commercialization relevance would be kind of that pre-sale. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get your idea to a stage where you can sell it and it's maybe not necessarily fully developed yet, um, but then you can prove that it's commercially relevant to the market. Um, that was their initial thing there. And then, mm-hmm. uh, they had some other grants that kind of came um, past that. And the next one was the demonstration fund. It was like, demonstrate, you know, so prove <laughs> it, demonstrate it. So, wow. that sort of thing. but yeah. the, the SBA was a lot of help um, yeah. through there. And uh, it helped also with raising money too, because your investors want to see that, um, want to see that you're kind of being validated. Mm-hmm. So if you have like, if you won some state grants or won some federal grants, the diligence process is insane for the, for the state and federal money. I mean, these are taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. They don't just give it out to anybody because it yeah. makes the administration really look bad if people are <laughs> federal money and it's just not, you know, mm-hmm. so they do a really, you know, in-depth job of making sure that you're doing what you're saying you're going to do. And then it's not, you know, it has some, it's, it's real. It's not somebody committed fraud or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, um, when you have some of that backing, the investors can say, Oh, you know, we know this isn't fraudulent. It's, it, it's a real, it's a real opportunity. It's a real company, real people, real money. And they have 
a bunch of PhDs on Washington looked at it and approved it for a federal grant or, you know, mm -hmm. the local SBA is backing them with some money and that sort of thing. So we, it's just a good, it's a good base to have. Um, mm -hmm. And they make you go through a lot of stuff that's kind of painful, you know, writing <laughs> yeah. uh, business plans and stuff. I mean, that is hard work to get yeah. it all down and, and everything. And, um, and submit it and and all that stuff is 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 difficult to do especially when things are changing so quickly it's like man i can't sit down and write 30 pages mm -hmm. and tomorrow it's going to be different next week it'll yeah. be uh so it's kind of crazy but getting the and that and that's a little bit to that entrepreneurship mindset too it's mm -hmm. like every day the business changes <laughs> so it's yeah. like really hard to get everything down on paper and, and get a plan together and do that sometimes Mm -hmm. um, with that mindset, it can be really difficult to do. So um, the SBA helps you kind of go through that because it's required. If you want to yeah. get investment, if you want to get federal money, if you want to get state money, you got to be able to do that stuff. And it's, mm -hmm. it's painful. It's hard to do, especially with the entrepreneurial mindset, but mm -hmm. you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. I think a couple lessons I'm learning from you are one you took you saw an opportunity and you every opportunity that kind of came to you you took it and you you kind of found different ventures and you kind of took it and then another thing is that you um you did everything right like you have this entrepreneurial mindset but you have the planning and the knowledge behind it which is really cool and i think it's really important and it's what made your business succeed it's interesting i don't yeah. know yeah yeah got to be focused, have some discipline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it'll make, it'll make you better. It'll make your business more scalable and sustainable and that sort of stuff. And uh, investing in that, I think I mentioned to um, uh, Professor Paul, uh, my, my aunt Joy, uh, her class that, uh, that to build, to build in the sustainability early, if you can. Yeah. And that comes with the documentation. It comes with the yes. planning. It comes with kind of the stuff that you don't really want to do because early on, it's just two people. You're having conversations. Yeah. Why do you have to write all this stuff down? Why do you have to make all these notes? Mm -hmm. Because later on, when you have 10, 15, 25, you know, 30, 50 employees, it makes it a heck of a lot easier if you've had some, a good fund foundation and some fundamentals to grow from. Um, and that includes, you know, maybe, I mean, we, we, we made a ton of all-nighters and did all that sort of stuff. That's something you're going to have to do, but to plan for sustainability as early as you can is really important too. to build out time for yourself, for your health, for your family, for, you know, all that sort of stuff. If you can do that early, um, earlier, the better, uh, we have other, you know, friends and fan, you know, friends in the, early stage business thing that think that they can uh, work really, really hard for three years and then kick their feet up and then not ever have to do anything again, you know, and, you know, mm -hmm. kind of the shortcut to success type of thing, but that just, it just doesn't happen. Um, yeah. So it's something that you got to plan and, and work for it as if that's how it's going to be for the rest of your life, kind of. Exactly. Um, because it does take a lot longer than you expect. And then pretty soon working yourself to death for three years doesn't 
give you the result you were planning for. And now mm-hmm. that just becomes your life. Yeah. And you have comp, you know, bad habits and compensation mechanisms that aren't, aren't sustainable or, or you lose your loved ones or, you know, whatever. Wow. And it, it can yeah. just go really bad fast. So it's, it's important for people to have that perspective when they go in that it's not a, there's no free lunch. It's not mm-hmm. an easy, quick path to success. Um, and to really prioritize their, their entire like lifestyle around it. Yeah. So. That makes a lot of sense. I think you mentioned that having a, a partner in business is like relationships, but I also think that entrepreneurial entrepreneurship in that sense is also like having a relationship. Like I've been with my boyfriend for two years and I thought it would be like, Oh, I can kick my feet, my feet up. Like it'll get easy. It never gets easy. Like there's always hurdles to, you have to get over and you have to kind of grow as a person. And I think that's really cool. Like in a business, when you're creating a business, there's always going to be something different. Like you can't just kick your feet up. It's going to be hard, but you're going to get through it. So that's really cool. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from, uh, I can't remember which advisor told me this, but they said that don't forget that these are the good old days. Like in the future, these will be the good old days, which means enjoy what you're doing right now. Cause Mm -hmm. it's like going to be the good old days that you like think back to. And I, it's, that's so true. You Mm -hmm. know, over the last five years of doing this, I think there were a lot of times you were saying, oh man, you know, once we get, you know, this next funding, things are going to be easier. Once we get this next thing, this is going to be easier. Or you're staying up really late and you're killing yourself over an application or something that you're putting in or, or, or you're working on the design for, and you're like, man, once this is over, it's, everything's going to be fine. And it's all going to be downhill from here. And it's just not true at all. Nope. <laughs> uh, once we hire a few people, it'll get a lot easier. No, no. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> It only gets harder. It gets different and gets harder. And then you always think back to, oh man, I remember that day where we were working, you know, in this tiny office right next to each other, that sort of thing. Um, And just things were simpler, you know, back (laughs) then. You know, it's funny because you you put yourself back there and you're like, oh my God, this is the worst. It's going to be so much easier in the future. And it just doesn't. And you're, you're right. It's the same with relationships and everything. And you know, these are the good old days. So enjoy them and and really like understand that you're going to have more problems and things are going to get bigger and harder in the future too. So (laughs) definitely. Yeah. Um, shoot. My next question just literally dropped out of my head. I hate when that happens. Um, oh, what was I going to say? I think it was about, It was similar along these lines. Oh yes, okay, so this is kind of like, I know you're super in the middle of Omni Life right now, but one of the things you mentioned when I first met you was that every entrepreneur should have an exit strategy. And that's completely like threw me off because I was like, wait, this is their baby. Like how can they give up their business? Can you talk a little bit about like the exit strategy and then what you'd want to do next? Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, exit strategy is important for, um, any business that gets, um, investment, any like investment funded businesses. Um, there are, you know, lifestyle businesses or, or businesses that are sort of, um, like cash, cash flow positive and stuff that you don't need, you don't necessarily need to have an exit strategy for. Um, but I think that some of the principles for growth and, and just, um, 
making your business a success probably involves some sort of exit, but it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, it has to do with the revenue goal, but also a goal for the return on your shareholders investments. And they'll want to know that you're positioning the company in a way that it can be acquired or uh, at, at some point in time, it can be sold publicly uh, or publicly traded, but either way you're selling the company. Mm-hmm. So in, in the, yeah. So I guess when, when we started soliciting for investment in the company, we had it on the books that we were going to eventually sell the company either publicly or to another private company or private or public company. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the time you will sell to um, another company rather than publicly, but there, there are obviously um, exceptions to that. Uh, But, but most of it goes on with like companies buying other companies. And I think when that's the goal, there's a, a certain way that you organize your growth as a company and some of that kind of comes into the documentation, um, the organization and structure of your business to just be ready that when a company acquires your company or you have to file for through the Security and Exchange Commission to do an IPO or initial public offering, okay. uh, you need to have all of your financials organized. You need to have everything organized in a way that somebody else can come in and look through everything that you've done with your business. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, with, with that in mind and, and how you grow, you can tailor your organization and your business toward um, those goals, which, uh, which has to do with the valuation of the company because obviously you want to sell your company for as, you know, as much money as you can mm-hmm. um, uh, so that your shareholders can get a return. It also kind of dictates how um, how you position your company and how you make strategic decisions as you grow, mm-hmm. but either way you have to grow and you have to be part of a growth path for another company to grow too. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about growing your company, you want to also think about your potential acquirers, how, when, and if they buy you, how does that grow their company? Mm-hmm. Um, and an easy way is just to look at revenue, but they're also, especially in like software or like things that require like networks of people and other people being involved. Um, companies will buy companies for a lot of different reasons and not necessarily mm. just revenue. It could be just that they already have certain accounts on certain users already on there, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, market adoption and those, those different metrics. Um, so it's it's being a, it's becoming a little bit different now that we have um, kind of a lot of data or like tech companies um, where they can you know basically generate very little revenue but then eventually get acquired for a lot of money that mm-hmm. just doesn't doesn't necessarily make sense when you look at it but then you're like oh I understand because it provides the growth for that other company yeah um, so for us kind of that's uh, that's sort of central to how we how we grow and why we're so focused on getting the network of community members in the organ procurement and transplantation networks and stuff involved because that kind of the saturation we can get from our software throughout the market makes us like exponentially more um, valuable to a potential acquirer 
Um, and there, there are a few in the, in the transplant companies or company transplant health IT companies as well, but then also like just larger communication companies or, um, like your epics and cerners and like the electronic health record companies as well so yeah what would you do next <laughs> what would i do next okay so this is this is awesome i i think i think it's great what my retirement plan what i want to do like for my lifetime goal would be to work at like a um state or federal uh health department huh. i think I think I would really love to make an impact um, at that type of level mm -hmm. uh, to help people or help manage some of the data that that we have to manage for handling some of the biggest health issues in the United States, particularly, you know, with like diabetes, obesity, um, heart or uh, heart failure and other kind of like hypertension and different diseases like that, but I've been working with some federal and uh, federal data for a long time in organ transplant mm -hmm. and developing the solution, obviously that is OmniLife and, and delivering that to the marketplace. And I would like to continue to do something like that, but maybe at um, a scale that is closer to, is closer to like the patient. And I think that that's where, I think that's where the public health department has a great opportunity. It could be a public health department or it could be a um, company like Apple or Fitbit or like Nike okay. or the, the people that do personal health yeah. related stuff, but, mm -hmm. and try to make an impact that way um, with, with data science. But I think that's where kind of, I would, I would go. And then I think, the reason I said like state or federal is that uh, being like a state or federal employee uh, has a lot of benefits and you can basically kind of tenure that track for the rest of your life with like a pension and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so that's um, like different from the entrepreneur lifestyle. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, it is a little different, but I think that, um, I think that our uh, community, I think that our community kind of um, servants or whatever you want to call them, the, the mm -hmm. public, um, uh, the, the people in the in the public areas uh, would benefit from some entrepreneurial ideas. Definitely, so, and it would just make our tax dollar go further. Yeah, so, that's really true. Uh, I think that I think that everybody benefits to have some kind of like enterprising uh, folks that are business minded mm -hmm. uh, in those in those roles. I think that makes sense. Maybe Trump is the exception. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> That's definitely true. So my next question is, what is your advice for young entrepreneurs, young business people just kind of starting out? Sure. Uh, well, networking for sure. Uh, doing the local pitch competitions, talking to the local SBA, Small Business Administration. Um, and, you know, we, we call it like jumping through the hoops. But, you know, it's one of those things where they have you do things like do a pitch competition or do an elevated pitch or write a business plan. All of those things are just good fundamentals that you're going to need to have. Mm -hmm. Even if it's sometimes it seems like a waste of time or, or whatever, um, depending on what you have going on, it's never a good time to write your 20 page business plan or 30 page business plan, you know, yeah. or to work on your business model canvas. Sometimes when you're filling out the different areas of the business model canvas, some areas are really fun to work on. 
you know, yeah. some areas you get a lot of ideas on and then other areas are pretty blank and you're yeah. like, well, I don't want to think about that right now. I'll focus on the fun stuff. Yeah. But, um, I think that going through, jumping through the hoops, like going through kind of the fundamentals is, is important for developing a well-rounded business and a well-rounded strategy. Awesome. Um, and there's just, there's just a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of support that you have when you can execute on the fundamentals um, that will be available to you. You'll be winning business plan competitions. You'll be winning pitch competitions. You'll get state money. You'll get some federal money. Um, you'll get investment um, when you can execute on those kind of all of those areas um, together and kind of do the work. But yeah, that's my that's my primary one. And then some of the other tidbits from the from the other side about <laughs> yeah, you gave a lot of advice and like you know all that other stuff. And don't ever think it's gonna be you know making those like early you know early sacrifices now for some sort of big payoff in the future don't think yeah. of it that way think of it like here's think of it more comprehensively it's not like stage one and stage future it's mm -hmm. sort of like your growth through the whole process um and i think that's that's good because with with that with the thing in mind where you can just take all these shortcuts or or neglect your mental or physical health or whatever nutrition and thinking that someday in the future, you're going to be able to just, you know, that hack. It, it just doesn't, it's, there's no hack and there's no kind of like shortcut way. You gotta, you gotta, it's a growth pattern. Mm -hmm. So those early good habits in business and in your personal life, the seven habits of highly effective people, you know, all this stuff, yeah. like it's all really good stuff and it's there for a reason. And yeah. it'll help you be successful in your business and your personal as it grows. Definitely. Great answer. Okay. So my last question is kind of cheesy. I ask everyone this and it started out when my podcast was only travel and I always stump everyone with it. So it's kind of fun. It makes me happy. Um, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Where would I not go? Mm -hmm. Oh no. <laughs> I told you it stumps everyone. Goodness, I feel like I could learn from everywhere. I mean, there are definitely places that I don't think I would want to go. But then again, you never know. If you go there, you might discover something new. So I don't yeah. want to write anything off. I feel like by answering this question, I write it off. And I'm like, yeah. That was good. Um, but I don't Spoken know. like a true entrepreneur, man. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, that's so hard. Um, where do I never want to go? Probably. I think uh, maybe like a traditional sort of like college bar, like a <laughs> smelly basement dungeon bar with sticky floors and people that are just drunk out of their minds. I feel like I did some of that in my undergrad and like, that's the past Eric that I don't ever want to be again. You know, okay. like since then I've put a lot of habits in place and like really, um, and invested in 
relationships and different things that kind of like really distanced myself from that. Yeah. Um, and it, it's part of like the growth and everything, but like, that's just not something that I ever, you know, ever want to, that's not just not a place that I ever want to be again, you know, not yeah. three or 4 AM and just kind of like wasted and stuff like that. Like that's, yeah. that was kind of just, it's a waste of your time. It doesn't mm-hmm. help you at all. And I think that that kind of like would epitomize for me being like the place that I never want to go again. That's a really good answer. I think that's my best answer I've ever gotten. I'm going to be honest. That was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the show. (laughs) Thanks for that uh, kind of really interesting question. That was uh, provocative. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Well, thank you. So that was my interview with Eric Paul. Again, his story with OmniLife is so inspirational and I'm so grateful to have him on my show. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> I wanted to thank my listeners as well for tuning in. I'm so grateful for you guys and feel free to leave a review or reach out to me on social media, on LinkedIn or anywhere that you can find me. Um, I love creating this podcast and I'm so grateful for my wonderful listeners and my wonderful guests. Thanks again. Bye.